This is a 720 to go podcast from Chicago's WGN Radio 720. This podcast is sponsored by ADM. As one of the world's largest agricultural processors, ADM is uniquely positioned to serve the world's growing needs for abundant food and renewable energy. ADM. When it comes to the business of America's farmland, you need the information from the people who know it best. That's why we bring you AgriCast with Orion Samuelson and Max Armstrong. Good morning again. Orion Samuelson with you here on the Saturday Morning Show. And uh, this time I'm not working from WGN West. I'm working from WGN Huntley, Illinois. And uh, we couldn't miss the cold weather. We had to get back in time for that because last year... We timed our return from Arizona just in time to uh, experience the polar vortex. And everybody in Arizona was saying, why are you going back to be hit by the cold, cold weather? I guess that's our nature. But anyway, good to be back in the Midwest and a lot going on. It was good to visit with Steve and Johnny this morning because, as they said, for 35 years when they wound up their the stint here on WGN after the all-night show. uh, We were the first people that they would talk to, so it was good to talk to Steve and Johnny again this morning here on the Saturday morning show. There has been a lot going on, and with this mobility challenge that I have with my back, uh, not too easy to travel to all of the events I've really missed. American Farm Bureau Convention, the National Cattlemen's Beef Association Convention, and of course uh, this week the National Farm Machinery Show in Louisville, Kentucky. Always a major event on the winter farm show scene, and it's still interesting that two of the largest outdoor farm shows occur on the same dates. World Ag Expo in Tulare, California, wound up uh, Thursday, and uh, the National Farm Machinery Show will come to a close this evening when they have the finals of the World Championship Tractor Pulling Competition at the Kentucky State Fairgrounds in Louisville. So... I've missed being at uh, those events, and uh, Max has been covering them, doing the traveling, and I appreciate that. As a matter of fact, we're going to put Max to work right now because I asked him if he would provide us with a report here on the Saturday morning show from Louisville, Kentucky, and he said, yes, I'll be happy to, and so good morning, Max. Well, good morning, Orion. This is the final day of the National Farm Machinery Show in Louisville, Kentucky. The fourth day of that show. I would imagine exhibitors are starting to wear down by now. There is such a huge crowd that it comes through there. Some 300,000 attend that show over four days there at the Kentucky State Fairgrounds. And it's a wide geographical representation over the eastern half of the country and on up into Ontario, Canada. I met several farmers there from Ontario, as well as Michigan and Wisconsin, quite a few from Pennsylvania and New York State, down into the Carolinas, Alabama, Mississippi. And, of course, there's a huge turnout of that show from Illinois 
Indiana, and even the state of Iowa. Many of your friends that you've met through the years, Orion, wanted me to extend the greeting to you. Uh, They said to say hello, and they hoped you're doing fine. We talked with the Commissioner of Agriculture for the state of Kentucky about the impact of this show. Ryan Quarles has been the Ag Commissioner in the Bluegrass State for about five years now. Before that, he served in the state legislature. He's a young man. Ryan is only 36 years old. And I asked him about the economic impact that the National Farm Machinery Show brings to the region. We welcome people to the 55th annual National Farm Machinery Show. We expect 300,000 people to enter the fairgrounds here in Louisville, Kentucky. They're spending money, they're overnighting. We hope to be great hosts here in Kentucky. We have 1.2 million square feet of indoor uh, showroom place. And so we're, uh, I like to tell people, we're the biggest farm machinery show held indoors in North America. What do you sense from the farmers with whom you speak here? You know, every farm show gives me the opportunity to kind of take the pulse of what's going on in the farm economy. Right now, people are glad 2019 is behind us. A lot of states, including Kentucky, had a rough production year in 2019. It was too wet. We're here in Kentucky. It was too dry. People are optimistic about trade, though. People seem to be pretty uh, encouraged by the phase one agreement with China, uh, the passage of USMCA and it being signed, and, and other trade deals on the horizon. So a lot of folks are looking forward to getting back out in the field and have a prosperous 2020. We've watched with interest as your ag industry in the state has diversified. Is it continuing to do so? That's right. Kentucky has a really diversified ag uh, portfolio. We grow everything from apples to zucchinis and everything in between. We have horses here in a big and significant way. Uh, We're also having uh, new emerging crops uh, ranging from hemp to indigo and even chia is being grown right here in Kentucky. A lot of folks carving out a niche market. There's been so much uh, interest in hemp and the feeling that those who had been in the tobacco business could make that conversion easily. Yet there have been some hiccups, have there not? Uh, some growing pains. That's right. There are growing pains in the hemp industry nationwide, not just in Kentucky. We encourage all of our farmers to assess their level of risk at the farm level. Don't invest more than you're willing to lose. Be careful who you do business with. And eventually this market will stabilize. But right now we have growing pains ranging from the lack of FDA oversight to issues with our banking community, transporting it legally across state lines, and having new crop technology that other countries currently have emerging here in the United States. And so we like to tell people, take it slow and be cautious with hemp. Some of the struggles then have been with the federal government outside of your control. That's right. A year ago, uh, we finally had hemp legalized for the first time in over 70 years in America. And as farmers started to test this out, we, we, we saw about a half dozen issues, and these are mainly federal issues, and, and namely the biggest one is the Food and Drug Administration's uh, uh, hesitancy in letting us know which way they're going to regulate these crops and, and products. And so we're encouraging them to be constructive partners. But we also try to remind people Hemp is just 1% of Kentucky's ag economy. We try to focus on the bread and butter, meat and potato crops we grow here in Kentucky, and, and don't put too much in that are willing to lose. Finally, Commissioner, uh, we were seeing young people coming back to the farm before the downturn of the ag economy. Are we still seeing it? Yes. Uh, we have really vibrant 4-H and FFA programs here in Kentucky. Even here at the farm show that's pulling in this morning, I was flanked by school buses of young people coming here. We always have to make sure that we inspire young people to choose agriculture as a career.
Ryan Quarles. He's the Agriculture Commissioner in Kentucky. Standing in the hallway there at the Kentucky Fair and Exposition Center the other afternoon, there were several people who came up to visit. And it was interesting. We were talking with people. You know, I mentioned the eastern half of the United States, Orion. Well, there was a father-son combination from Australia came up to talk to me. The Clancy Boys. Uh, Ron is the dad, and Ryan is the son. And I asked him about their weather back home, about all of those fires, the bushfires that we had seen this winter. And they said, as of that day that we visited, and that was Thursday, they said the bushfires in Australia now were fully contained for the first time. The rains had been coming to make a difference in that, and but they said the rains have been such driving rains, so much coming so fast that the runoff has been so bad that very little of that rain has managed to percolate down into what are otherwise... Very dry soils. Oh, here's an interesting aside, too. There was a young couple came up to me. The farmer was from South Dakota. And uh, we visited for a few minutes there. Really enjoyed talking to Robert. And with him was a young lady by the name of Charnel. And as we visited, I asked a few more questions, not just about crops and crop conditions. He still has quite a bit of corn standing in the field in South Dakota. But I asked uh, about their backgrounds, and I found that he is a South Dakota farmer, and his friend is from New York State originally by way of Wyoming. And I said, well, how did you two get together? They looked at each other sheepishly and said, FarmersOnly.com. They met online. So it seems to be working for some people anyway. So we'll uh, shift gears in a few days. We'll relax for a few days. Then we'll be headed to Commodity Classic. That'll be in San Antonio, Texas, week after next. And we'll visit with some of the same folks that we have seen this week at the Kentucky Fair and Exposition Center. Again, a lot of people asking about you, Orion. Hoping you're doing well. And we appreciate the chance to check in and share the report this morning on the Saturday Morning Show. Well, thank you very much, Max, for joining us and providing us with uh, discussions that I was enabled to participate in this year. And again, because people are asking about uh, my well-being, let me, without giving you a full medical report, uh, just let me bring you up to date on why I'm not traveling as much as I did, because it has become a challenge. Any of you who have had back problems during your lifetime, that's what I'm having, and it does slow me down, not moving nearly as fast as I want to, but at least I'm still moving, and that's better than the conditions of a lot of people. So thanks to Gloria, who uh, is taking good care of me and making sure that I don't misbehave, getting me to the airplanes on time. Haven't flown Air Orion for quite a while because of the uh, lack of mobility and balance that I have in getting into the airplane, but we still have Air Orion and uh, probably will be selling it one of these days down the line, but not ready to do that just yet because still very convenient when I have to fly into a city that doesn't have an airline terminal uh, airport uh, that I can still get to where I have to get to with Air Orion. But to all of you who have inquired, and I've certainly heard from you by email and by letter and uh, by the many Christmas cards you sent me, yeah, if you have back problems, I sympathize with you, believe me, because it just makes mobility and balance a real challenge. So, But thank you. I'm 
find otherwise. And uh, as I said, if you've had the situation, you know what it is. But speaking of the situation, let me bring us up to date on coronavirus because you can't do an agricultural show or a stock market show or any other market report without mentioning the word that I hadn't heard before, coronavirus. Here's the latest as I look at my uh, Reuters News computer this morning. More than 2,600 new cases of coronavirus have been confirmed in China with deaths up by 143 as of yesterday. That's just how many deaths occurred yesterday as uh, the United States continued to urge citizens to leave a virus-struck cruise ship under quarantine in Japan at Yokohama. Can't imagine what they've been going through having kept uh, being kept on the ship because of the threat of the spread of coronavirus. Beijing has told those returning to quarantine themselves for 14 days, while the transport ministry said travel volumes were about a fifth of what they usually are after the New Year lunar holiday, which is such a huge holiday in China. And uh, the holiday was extended for 10 days, to help stall the virus. But the total number of infections across mainland China, 66,492, after 2,641 new cases were confirmed as of yesterday. And the death toll rose by 143 to 1,523, with most of the new deaths in central Hubei province, and in particular, the provincial capital of Wuhan. And that's a city of 11 million people, where the outbreak began in December. The National Health Commission official in China told a news conference the government would maintain efforts to contain the spread of virus in Wuhan with a focus on cutting rates of infection and fatalities. The city has been under virtual lockdown for three weeks now, a city of 11 million people. But the daily figures have given little indication that the restrictions are stopping the spread of the outbreak or it is nearing a peak. And a trend has been difficult to discern, especially after a decision by authorities this week to reclassify as confirmed cases a backload of suspected cases. And the World Health Organization said the higher number did not necessarily indicate a wider epidemic. The vice governor of China's central bank told the news conference the government would maintain a prudent money policy and help companies uh, who resume production while lenders would tolerate higher levels of bad loans to support business but many travel restrictions are still in place and many factors have yet to to reopen and of course uh, a lot of tourist business in uh, china that has virtually come to a standstill 
that's what's impacting visitors to China and Chinese people from traveling to the U.S. and other countries. It uh, It's unlike anything that I can recall. I remember SARS, but I don't recall it having the impact because we probably weren't as uh, mobile as we are now. I mean, now it's so easy to travel to any part of the world. How uh, you stop the spread of a disease like coronavirus, I'm not sure. There's another disease that hit China a year ago that I'll talk about uh, in the second half of the Saturday morning show. That's African swine fever. You may recall African swine fever canceled the uh, World Pork Expo in Des Moines, Iowa last year in June. They canceled it because they were so concerned about the spread of African swine fever to the hog production industry in the United States. And uh, that was kind of a big hole in the summertime, early summertime schedule for agricultural people. But it's back this year, 2020, and I'll be talking about that uh, just a little bit later here on the Saturday Morning Show. We're at 28 minutes after 5 o'clock, and it's another chilly morning across much of the Midwest, particularly some of the wind chill factors that we're seeing around the central part of the country. But the other thing that I noticed uh, in the past week or so, some of the flooding conditions, particularly in a wide swath across the southeastern part of the country, But then, in addition to that, you go to the opposite corner, Pacific Northwest, Seattle, and uh, Oregon and Washington State have also been slammed with floods and uh, starting the crop year on a pretty tough note, particularly when you remember last year what happened. So uh, we're going to be talking about that And, of course, as we come to the 5.30 mark here on the Saturday morning show, it's time to share with you some of my thoughts on Samuelson Says. And we'll do that when we continue here on the Saturday morning show. And we're back with you here on the Saturday morning show on WGN Radio. Time for Samuelson Says. And I am Orion. With this question this week, what's happening in your rural coffee shop conversations? So what are the most discussed topics at rural coffee shops this time of year? I'm sure there are many of them, but let me guess some of them. Land values, trade issues, politics, and always the top two subjects, markets and weather. Well, after last year's crop weather situation and challenge, I was hoping we could put weather in the rearview mirror this year. But already I'm seeing some horrendous weather situations on TV across the country. Heavy flooding, particularly over a broad area in the southeast, tells me it could be a tough planting season there, along with a lot of road and bridge repair work. Then go to the opposite corner of the country, the Pacific Northwest, with heavy rains and flooding in Washington State and Oregon. And then you realize you are not alone in dealing with a weather challenge. 
It is beginning to look like a repeat of last year's planting season, so maybe we should talk about something else over that cup of coffee. Like politics? My dad told me many times when I was a young man, there are two things you should never discuss with friends or family, politics and religion. You are better off leaving those topics out of the conversation if you want to keep your friends. And despite what some of you say in your emails, I pretty much follow that rule. Speaking of reaction to what I say, I did get agreement from quite a few of you on my discussion last week suggesting our elected officials on both sides of the aisle quit acting like kids and start acting like adults in their words and actions. And a lady commented on my wish for term limits in Congress by pointing out it will never happen because members of Congress would never vote themselves out of a job. But how about a national referendum so all of us can have a vote on that issue? Oh, and finally, back on the coffee shop discussion on the weather, remember these two things. You can talk about weather, but you can't change it. And don't fool with Mother Nature. My thoughts on Samuelson Says. A presentation of Nexstar Media Group brings us to 25 minutes before 6 o'clock here on the Saturday Morning Show and continuing the brief conversation before the break here. Uh, Let's go back and talk about World Pork Expo 2020. It's back at the Iowa State Fairgrounds for its 32nd year. Dates for this year's expo will take place June 3rd, 4th, and 5th, providing pork professionals with three full days of education, innovation, and networking. David Herring, who is the president of the National Pork Producers Council and the pork producer from Lillington, North Carolina, said we're excited to welcome all members of the pork industry back to Des Moines after that hiatus in 2019. The 2020 Expo gives us an opportunity to connect across the industry, to share knowledge, and to discuss the state of the industry, and we can do it with other pork producers. You may recall, out of an abundance of caution, the 2019 World Pork Expo canceled due to reports of African swine fever in China and other countries. Professionals in the pork industry worked together across the globe to understand the situation and evaluate risks presented with African swine fever. Since the outbreak of the fever last year, the United States has significantly stepped up biosecurity measures taken to prevent an outbreak In this country, the 2020 Expo will have increased biosecurity on site during the show and additional changes to the 2020 World Pork Expo include the decision to relocate the live swine show to reduce an already negligible risk. And continuing to host the show for our more than 20,000 producers and pork professionals visiting across the states is extremely important. 
according to uh, Dave Herring, amidst the um, African swine fever. Our pork industry continues to grow, and it's truly a testament to how strong the industry is in the United States. Registration will soon be available online for those who plan to attend the 2020 World Pork Expo, June 3rd, 4th, and 5th. The World Pork Expo draws a crowd of more than 20,000 professionals in the pork industry to visit the world's largest pork-specific trade show with indoor and outdoor displays. Guests enjoy exploring more than 360,000 square feet of exhibition. So we'll let you know when the online registration is ready to uh, get underway so that you can Get your name in the ring for attendance at the World Pork Expo back at the Iowa State Fairgrounds in Des Moines. Right now we're at 22 minutes before 6 o'clock, and uh, we, again, because Max is traveling and attending the National Farm Machinery Show, uh, he wasn't able to sit down with a market analyst and uh, share a discussion. So uh, we called on Mike Pearson, one of our favorite analysts, because, well, he's kind of vocal and uh, kind of opinionated, and that's good. And so uh, stand by, because we're going to check in with Mike when we continue here on the Saturday Morning Show. Well, folks, I am Mike Pearson, standing in today for Max Armstrong, and joined here in the booth with Mr. Matt Bennett from agmarket.net. Matt, we saw the USDA release their February World Agricultural Supply and Demand Estimates Report, the WASDE Report, which is watched by the trade. Typically, not the February report, but this week we were we were tuned in. Bring us up to speed. Why were folks keeping an eye on this report more than they typically do watch the February you know, typically in February, it's just kind of a ho-hum report. January, you know, is the big report. Uh, then, of course, you've got the March report coming up whenever you've got planning intentions. February is kind of like the ugly stuff, kid. <laughs> you know, but you come in here this year and you're saying, hey, what's the USDA going to do with phase one? You know, they were a little bit vague. They said that uh, they were going to do a, basically a broad uh uh, you know, scope that they're going to actually look at it from, but nothing like as far as uh, specific. So we didn't know whether they were going to get uh, too aggressive as far as making maybe a, a corn sale or two to China, maybe that assumption, but they really didn't do so. They dropped corn exports and, uh, you know, bean exports actually went up, even though the pace would suggest that that wouldn't uh, be the thing to do. So obviously they lent a little bit of credit to that phase one trade deal as far as soybeans was concerned. Well, you mentioned we didn't see much happen on the corn side. Uh, there's been a lot of chatter in the trade ever since phase one was signed with China, that that was one place we could see China step in in a larger way was on the corn side of the balance sheet. USDA didn't seem to add much credence to that. Is that going to be a real psychologically negative factor in this corn market as we head through the rest of February? Yeah, it's it's the number that the trade printed. I think there's a lot of folks out there trying to figure out, well, if the Chinese do go ahead and come to the table and buy some corn, what's this going to mean? You know, what's the true carryout right now? And I say true carryout because I think there's still a lot of question marks out there. Obviously, all the corn hadn't even been harvested That's, yet, yeah. uh, first of all. Second of all, a really low test weight crop uh, is not as good of a crop to feed or to use for corn 
corn usage for ethanol. Uh, we know that uh, you're going to have to burn through more corn to get the same things done that you want to get done in those two sectors. And so, you know, there's a lot of unknowns out there yet. Uh, is it friendly the market? Absolutely not, you know. Uh, but it, I, I would say that there's still a lot that could happen later on. Trade's probably not going to get just completely down in the dumps on the corn market just yet, I don't believe. But, you know, at the same time, we, we really need to see the soybean market maybe catch life, too. That might give a little bit of support to corn. Well, it might. And, Matt, you hit on something huge there. We could see the corn market catch on a little bit later on. A crop like we harvested in 2019 isn't always great at hanging on until the market begins to reward. For guys who are looking, they're checking their bins, they're seeing conditions, maybe not looking so ideal at this point in the spring. How should they be handling the market right now? Should we be going ahead to make some cash sales, look at re-ownership on the board? What's the best way to perhaps be there for this thing should it ever decide to turn around. You know, if, if their corn is in the elevator or if it's on basis contracts at the elevator, you know, I'm probably getting to the point where I'm, I, I guess I'm about ready to go ahead and move on. And if I want to uh, keep some ownership, I want to do it on a limited risk standpoint. You know, I don't want to get too aggressive uh, here and, and make a, a, a not so good sale even worse, you know, if yeah. you will. And I don't want to joke about it too much because it's frustrating. I mean, I'm right there with these guys. Uh, of course, I farm there in Central Illinois. Uh, if if you're looking at stuff that's in the bin, it's a little bit different uh, different deal. If you were able to harvest that corn uh, at a dry moisture, and you know that it's probably going to be able to keep just a little bit better, man, I think I'd be holding on to that stuff, at least a portion of it. Now, I'm not saying hold on to 50% of your crop or something like that, but if I can hold on to 25% of corn and feel like it's really in good shape, if you do get a late spring again this year, then you've got to understand that basis is going to absolutely be on fire towards the end of the summer time frame. And, and yeah, you may not get the futures rally, but you may see uh, places that are 20 over right now, a dollar over this summer. Oh, man, dollar over would be music to a lot of folks' ears, I think. Well, the bottom line, though, you got to understand right now, out east and then into Hereford, Texas, both of those two areas, you're already seeing a dollar over. And I mean, typically they run fairly good. There's no question about it. Uh, you get into that Pennsylvania, uh, Maryland, New York state area, there's a lot of areas that are corn deficit. And of course, Hereford's uh, corn deficit. Whenever you get into the panhandle, you know, there's a whole lot of mouths to feed down there. But uh, that's all going to filter out at some point. We already see basis really good in the eastern corn belt you get into ohio and even eastern indiana there's areas that you know the posted bids are way better than what they typically see uh, but the posted bids don't even tell the story sometimes uh, some of these guys are really hunting for corn already man well you mentioned soybeans and how we might need to see soybeans catch fire before this corn market really does start to to get a little little fire in britches on the soybean side we did see usda cut carry out 50 million bushel what happened there where did that carry out come from you know, as far as soybeans are concerned, it all came from exports. You know, basically they're saying that phase one trade deal that they see uh, or, or tipping their hat and saying, you know what, China is probably going to come in here and buy a whole lot of soybeans or at least enough uh, to tip the scales a little bit. Now, four and a quarter, uh, you know, is that, I mean, that's less than half of what we were talking about previously. But at the same time, four and a quarter historically is the third largest we've ever seen. And so, you know, it's still a pretty good size carry out. Uh, but stocks usage ratio is, is definitely way better than what we thought it was going to be previously. Uh, basically, if the Chinese would come in with a little bit of a surprise purchase here and there, uh, you could start to tighten this thing up quite a bit. What's your take? And I'm asking to gaze into your crystal ball here, Matt. We've got coronavirus going on in China. We've got African swine fever still happening in China. We've got H5N1 avian influenza breaking in China. In your mind, 
Will China, given those amounts of uncertainties, step in and actually make some soybean purchases? That's a really tough question. Uh, right now, you've got to assume that they're going to at some point. Now, has this thing crested yet? Not quite. I don't think on coronavirus. I think that they're saying, you know, the mortality rates are down, but we're still seeing a lot of infections. And so, uh, obviously, it's uh, it's an issue that, that all of us are concerned with. At the same time, you've got 1.4 billion people that have to eat. Uh, definitely a higher protein diet than what historically they've had. I mean, it's just continued to get richer and richer in protein. But it's tough whenever you can only let one person out of your house in some of these provinces every other day. Uh, and so are they going to be going with more of a rice and noodle-based diet for a while? Probably. And so, you know, it's going to make a dent. There's no question. I mean, if you take people off of a, a protein-rich diet for two months, the repercussions on that many people is significant. Well, it certainly can cause meat to back up, but that's something China needs, as they've seen incredible meat inflation over the past year as African swine fever has decimated their hog herd. Yeah, absolutely. And so on down the road, you've got to assume that there's going to be a significant demand for protein. And I think when you look at the hog market, you know, there's a huge carry out. And there has been for quite a while. The the carry in the hog market gets out, you know, $15 higher than your front months. And uh, what it boils down to is that people are saying, you know, what this demand is going to show up. It's going to show up. We've been betting on the come for quite some time. Uh, and we've got to hope that maybe uh, that shows it's going to show up in some place or another. We don't know exactly where. Uh, I'm also, uh, I've also thought that the, the live cattle market would reflect this somewhat, but we don't see that big carry. Uh, the reason why I think that, though, I mean, if you look last six, seven years, the Chinese have actually increased their beef consumption around 20 to 25 percent, which is huge whenever you're talking those numbers. So, you know, anytime they get a little more money in their pockets, just like anywhere else in the world, they might prefer a T-bone steak over a pork chop. Absolutely. And one of the things that's been kind of frustrating looking at it from the beef perspective is the big gains of China's increase in beef consumption have mainly gone to South America. The the devaluation of the Brazilian real, the Argentine peso having its trouble here over the past 12 months have certainly made those cheaper products for China to import. Do you think that's going to change? Are we going to see eventually those buyers come to the U.S. as they look for higher grade protein? You would sure hope so, but uh, this uh, currency situation, I mean, the, this week, you know, we saw the lowest uh, the real been historically, I mean, versus the dollar. It's just so frustrating uh, for a producer. It, it seems like we just, we have uh, 10,000 things going against us right now. Yes. And, and so you've got to hope that at some point this is going to tip, it's going to turn, uh, but we have to get the dollar to back off, period. Uh, I don't care whether we're talking corn, beans, wheat, beef, we have to get the dollar to back off Somewhat. I know that there's been a lot of measures, you know, to try to, to make our economy look as good as it possibly could. If I'm a farmer, though, and I want someone to tip some sort of magic, uh, uh, you know, whatever you call it. Let's get the dollar down. You yeah. know, it'd be it'd be so nice if there's there's just no way to manipulate it though, really. There isn't. We're the best if house in a bad neighborhood, yes, as everybody if, says. If, if we're gonna play fair and do things the way we're supposed to do, I mean it's a safe haven. Mm-hmm. And I know a lot of us that live in the US sometimes shake our head and say, Why would it be a safe haven? But it's a safe haven. Yeah, yeah, we're we're the best when you look around the re- the rest of the global economies. Now, before we let you get out of here, Matt, you mentioned the the drop in the dollar would be beneficial to a lot of different commodity producers. One of the biggest winners would probably Probably be the wheat market. We've seen wheat go on a heck of a ride earlier this spring. Now, descent stepped back a little bit. As you look out to the future, we're expecting, or we did see smaller winter wheat plantings. You know, spring wheat plantings probably going to be down. I know there are some producers up in North Dakota that still have last year's spring wheat standing or laying flat in the field up there. Where's this wheat market going to go? 
You know, the thing about wheat, whenever you look at this July market, uh, you know, in that um, 550 area, uh, there's times here in the last couple of years that producers would have loved to have hedged at 550. Now, uh, I understand that we were almost at $6, and so it's pretty tough to, to look at that 550 and say, wow, she looks good, right? But at the same time, I want to be looking at my profitability scenarios. If nothing else, at least manage some risk there, uh, because uh, there could be some decent money made at just normal yields if you see 550 wheat. Now, do I think that we can run back to 6 bucks? Absolutely. If you have any weather issues with the kind of acreage we're talking, I don't think there's any question that the wheat market's going to be sensitive to that. All right. Things to keep an eye on. Well, Matt Bennett, tell our listeners, how can they get a hold of you if they want to pick your brain any further? Yeah, if they just want to go to the website, agmarket.net, you know me and the other three guys I do business with, you can uh, get a hold of any of us there and learn more about what we do. And you'll be down at Commodity Classic in San Antonio next week. I will be. Uh, I'll be in a lot of places between now and then, but I'll finally get to go to Commodity. I'll say anybody that's listening, if you get to catch up with me, I will have my family there, at least part of my family. Really excited to take them along this year. It's going to be nice to be able to do that. All right. See the Alamo, do the river walk, do the whole tourist thing while you're down there getting the whole thing as a write-off thing. <laughs> As an egg trip. Absolutely. <laughs> well, Matt Bennett, thanks so much for taking the time to talk to us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Four minutes before news time at 6 o'clock here on WGN Radio. And as I've said, this is the meeting time of the year for agricultural people. Right now, gathering in Florida at Tampa, the U.S. Grains Council annual winter meeting taking place. And, of course, their topic will be to recover some of the markets that we lost, uh, particularly during the uh, trade situation with China. And the Council's winter meeting is the annual chance for corn, sorghum, and barley farmers and members of agribusiness who make up the organization's membership to meet with their international staff who work in dozens of locations globally on trade policy and market development issues. So they'll be meeting this week. In Washington, D.C., I think it's the 94th or 95th USDA Agricultural Outlook Forum. That'll be taking place late in the week, next week, and uh, attended by farmers and uh, agribusiness people and anybody involved in agricultural trade that we were just talking about with Mike and his guests. So that is going on. And then we have Commodity Classic. That takes place the end of February. It'll be February 27, 28, and 29. And uh, members and farmers who want to attend that will be going back to the location where the National Cattlemen's Beef Association held its annual meeting a couple of weeks ago. They'll be going back to the Henry B. Gonzalez Convention Center in San Antonio and the general session scheduled for Friday morning, February 28. And then, of course, there's a Commodity Classic. The uh, confirmation from Commodity Classic this week that the uh, keynote speaker during the general session will be Secretary of Agriculture, Sonny Perdue. He'll be there to address the group. So all sorts of things going on, and... uh, Somewhere in all of that time frame, you'll have to find time to uh, 
Get your machinery ready, greased and oiled, and ready to go when the spring planting season arrives. Oh, and by the way, I hope, uh, guys, you didn't forget Valentine's Day for your special lady. A lot of people uh, at Jameson's in Huntley Sun City were certainly enjoying Valentine's Day, having dinner at Jameson's Restaurant. We were there and had the opportunity to say hello to a lot of listeners and uh, a good time for all. So, guys, hope you're not forgetting the importance of that to your lady. So uh, that's about our time here on the Saturday Morning Show. And as always, we thank Bob Ferguson, our engineer, who makes sure everything happens, even though I'm sitting in a studio several miles from WGN in downtown Chicago. But Bob makes it happen. And then we also, of course, always thank you for joining us for the discussions on agriculture that really affect all of us here on the Saturday Morning Show. Orion Samuelson keeps you connected to the world of business and agriculture on WGN. Hear his reports weekday mornings on the Steve Cochran Show and during the noon hour on the Wintrust Business Lunch. Plus, catch Orion and Max on Saturday mornings at 5 a.m. only on Chicago's WGN Radio 720.